In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find the Hall of Faith, an impressive collection of people who put their trust in God on display for all to see. Among these people, we find an unlikely warrior named Gideon. God called him out of fear, out of doubt, and against all odds to lead a small army to claim victory over a mighty enemy. How did God lead this man from weakness to a warrior? Let's continue our journey through the great Hall of Faith. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about Gideon and courage. In 1835, Texas was trying to get its liberation from the Mexican government. There was a group of Texas rebels who went against some Mexican soldiers at an old church mission. After a few days at the skirmish, the Mexican soldiers fled. The place where the battle occurred was called the Alamo. Now, for 25 years, Texans tried to get their independence from the Mexicans. And every time they tried to, the Mexicans would come in against the revolt and the rebellion, and they would squash it. Well, at the Alamo was 183 warriors, men of great courage. Their motto was victory or death. Uh, inside the Alamo were men like Colonel William Travis, Davy Crockett, and James Bowie, the founder of the Bowie Knife. These were not your run-of-the-mill men. Well, uh, Mexico heard what had happened at the Alamo, and they weren't too happy about it at all. So they sent their best general in to once again squash the rebellion, a man named Santa Anna. Now, Santa Anna came with thousands upon thousands of troops. They surrounded the entire Alamo, and it was apparent that nobody was going to get out alive. It was then that Colonel William Travis gathered that 183 men together and he basically said, listen, we've got an opportunity to retreat, to get out of here, to save our lives. But then he said this line. He said, those prepared to give their lives in freedom's cause come over to me. And then he took his sword out of his sheath and drew a line in the sand. And immediately, all 183 men crossed the line. James Bowie, who was sick with typhoid pneumonia, asked that his bed be carried across the line. They were determined that they would stand and they would fight. Well, they needed some reinforcements. They needed some troops. And so James Bonham was volunteered to go through the enemy lines and to try to get some reinforcements. He traveled 95 miles to an outpost. And when he got there, all the soldiers at that outpost were already dealing with other battles of the day. There were no extra soldiers to come and lend a hand. So Santa Ana pounded against the Alamo for 11 straight Days And on the 11th final day, on March the 6th, 1836, he sent those thousands of troops as a frontal assault upon the Alamo. And all 183 men lost their lives on that place. Now, whatever happened to James Bonham, who got out and tried to get more troops? That guy could have gone anywhere. He could have done anything. Do you know what he did? He went back to the Alamo. 
Before the battle started, he somehow made his way back, got through enemy lines, got back inside of the Alamo. He said, I would rather stand and fight and die by my brothers than do anything else. Now, the Mexicans thought that they had won a great battle, and they had. They had won the battle of the Alamo, but they had lost the war, and they just didn't know it. For from that point forward, every time there was a battle between the Texans and the Mexicans, the cry was, remember the Alamo. Now, that's a tremendous story of bravery. Well, our next inductee to the Hall of Faith, he didn't have any courageous attribute at all. In fact, when you read about his story, you think, what a wuss. That's what you'll think. You'll think this guy is a wuss. And this is what the promising thing about this story, you ready, is that God takes wusses and turns them into warriors. And he does it one step at a time. Friends, listen to me. God wants to take you where you are. I don't care how superficial your faith is, how weak your faith is, how shallow your faith is. God wants to take you one step at a time, and he wants to lead you to where he wants you to be. He wants to take a wimpy person's faith and make them a mighty warrior for the Lord. So let me set the story up of Gideon for you, okay? Now, the story of Gideon happens during a time period called the Judges. It's about a 300-year time period. They don't have a king in Israel. God is their king. And from time to time, God will raise up a man or a woman to fight against the enemies of their day. And so Gideon is going to be one of those warriors that's going to rise up to fight against the trouble of the day. Now, what trouble did they have? Well, the trouble they had was the Midianites. The Midianites were the hill people. They would come down to the valley area where the Israelites live. They would ransack them. They would take all their crops, murder their men, rape their women. When we get to Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, things have gotten so bad that everybody's hiding in caves. Everybody's hiding underground. They're grabbing their crops and they're taking their crops and they're hiding their crops as well. It just appears for the last seven years that God has forgotten about them. But one of the things we know about God is that God doesn't forget about anybody. Let's look at the story. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. An angel of the Lord came sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, where's Gideon at? Gideon's hiding underground. And what's he doing? He's threshing wheat. Now, I've never threshed wheat, but not a single moment of my life. But what I'm told is that when a person is threshing wheat, it's a pretty dusty experience. This isn't something you do underground in an enclosed area. This is something you do outside so the dust doesn't you know, consume you. But why is Gideon underground threshing wheat? It's because he's a wuss. It's because he's scared of what the Midianites are going to do to him. So the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, listen, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I can just imagine Gideon looking around going, like, are, you, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? To give you an idea of what Gideon probably looked like, think of Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Okay? I kind of give you an idea. If you're a little bit older than that, think of Urkel from Family Matters. If you're a little bit older than that, think of Barney Fife from the Andy. Now you're really showing your age because you're laughing at that one, aren't you? I tell you what. So this is not a warrior. This is not a strong person. So the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's got to be looking around going, well, who are you talking to me? Are you, I, there's no way you're talking to me. And so Gideon has a conversation with the angel who says, listen, I've been called a lot of things in my lifetime, but I've never been called mighty warrior. 
I've been called puny. I've been called wimp. I've been called loser. I've been called weak. But no one has ever seen mighty warrior in me. If you don't get anything else I say today, get this. God sees things in you you don't see in yourself. God sees things in you that you don't even see in yourself. Gideon is a very insecure person. He doesn't believe that God could ever use him for anything great, for anything good. Look at what happens here. Judges 6, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And he says, wait, wait a second, I, I, think you're, I think you're barking up the wrong tree here. I, I come from the smallest little tribe, and in the smallest little tribe, there's a small little clan that I'm a part of. And that small little clan, I'm the smallest in the families of those clans. And in that small little family, I'm the smallest in that family. So, Lord, you're calling the smallest of the small of the small of the small of the small to be the leader to, to raise up an army against the Midianite people. I think you've got the wrong person. How many times have you done the same thing? You know that you know that God wants to do something great in your life. And yet you discount it so very, very quickly. You say things like, well, I don't see myself in that position. I don't think I can do that. I, I, I don't know that I have the strength for that. And yet what does God's word say? When you say, I can't do that, God says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, I can find a strength that's greater than myself because Jesus lives inside me. His Holy Spirit lives inside of me. How many times do you hear people say, oh, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't conquer that hill. I can't deal with that right there. I, I, mean, I thought the Bible said that we're more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus our Lord. How many times have you said, well, it's impossible. There's, there's no way that can work out. I, I, that's crazy right there. I thought the Bible said that nothing is impossible with God. We, we walk around so full of fear and so full of insecurity. And we don't see ourselves doing this and we don't see ourselves doing that. And so we discount whatever God wants us to do with our life. How do I know about that? Because I do the same thing. You would think in all my years following Jesus that I would be some brave, courageous person who never felt a little shred of fear anymore because the Lord is with him and I'm more than a conqueror. I, I deal with insecurity all the time. It's, it's easy to have that sinful brain that we've got up here that's so jacked up, tell us that we're never going to amount to anything, that God could never use us to do anything significant. And all of a sudden, you find yourself beginning to question. You know, you begin to doubt God, and so you, you discount what God wants to do in your life. And so you end up with a less than kind of a life. Rather than a life that moves forward with faith, we back down with fear. Right? I've had many times in my life when I knew this is what God wanted me to do. But I knew it would take everything I had to do it. And I wanted to find an exit. I wanted to find a way out. Why did I keep moving forward? Was it because the fear just magically disappeared? Can I, can I let you know a secret? The fear will never go away. If you're waiting for the day to do something great for God when the fear goes away, you will never do anything great for God. The fear is never going away. you got to push forward in spite of the fear. So where do I turn when I feel like I'm paralyzed, when I, when I know the right thing to do, I know the right direction to go? Where do I turn to give me the strength to keep moving forward? I turn to the Word of God. 
All these people that we've looked at in the hall of faith, you gotta, you got to know their stories. you got to walk their stories. Remember I told you at the beginning of this series, I said, if you'll just walk with me during this thing. If you'll do the daily devotionals, you'll download the app. If you'll just listen and apply what God's word is saying, you can get a better grasp on God's word than ever before. And here we are up to the story of Gideon. And there's a guy who's insecure. And you look at that and you say, how did God take him from where he is to where God wanted him to be? And it was one small step at a time. That encourages me. You know the passages of Scripture that give me the greatest joy, the greatest encouragement, is when God uses the most unlikely people. I, I love it when, when Jesus goes up on a hillside, prays all night, and comes down, and he picks 12 disciples to be the ones that are going to be the key guys to change the world. You know who these 12 guys were that Jesus picked? This encourages me. They were the losers of the day. They had already dropped out of rabbi school. They didn't make the cut. They were already back to their dad's business. And they couldn't even do their dad's business well. You ever notice that every time Peter, James, and John, and Andrew go out fishing, they don't catch anything? Not one time in the Bible do those guys ever, here they are fishermen, and they can't seem to catch a single fish unless Jesus tells them where to drop their nets. They're terrible even at that. These were the partiers of the day. My goodness, if we put 300 people up on this stage and we said pick the 12 best people and you had to interview every single one and the 12 disciples were standing up here, you wouldn't have picked a single one of them. And yet God did. Because God sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. If we'll just move forward with faith, and not let fear get the best of us. What we're getting at, he's absolutely paralyzed. He's paralyzed by fear. And he doesn't believe that God can do anything significant in his life. Because he doesn't believe that he's following a significant God. Now how in the world do we know that? Well the conversation continues between Gideon and the angel. And Gideon basically says, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm here down in this ground threshing wheat because I'm scared to death of my life. I'd like to know where's God. Where's God in my situation? Why hasn't God intervened? Why hasn't God pushed the Midianites back? I don't know. I don't think I'm significant, and I don't think I worship a very significant God. Can I ask you a question? What are you expecting God to do? Because most people aren't expecting God to do anything. And that's why they're not seeing God do anything in their life, because they're not expecting God to do anything in their life. You know why we stop expecting God to do great things in our life? Because God, in our mind, says, let us down. Oh, we would never say it because that wouldn't be spiritual. But how many times have you felt like, you know, I prayed a prayer and God didn't come through the way I thought he should come through. And so, therefore, I'm not sure that I'm going to continue to follow after him as hard as I did before. We're not expecting anything because in our minds, he, he let us down. I understand that, too. This past week, my daughter underwent her fourth back surgery. This is uh, surgery number four. She's already had two other procedures where they had to knock her out, trying to get her back, back together again. The first surgery, we went into it uh, with great confidence, believing that God was going to heal her and that God was going to use the doctors to do it. And we prayed and believed big, hairy, audacious things. And that surgery didn't work. So the second surgery came. And we believed again that God would intervene. That God would fix her. And he didn't. 
So we went to the third surgery. And it didn't work either. Then we went through a procedure. And then another procedure. And that didn't work either. One of the things you need to know about my daughter Cammie and I is that we spend a lot of time reading the Bible together almost every single night. And when we ramp up for a surgery, we spend a lot of time reading the great stories in the Old Testament because we need faith, we need confidence. Cammie's counting on me to come up with a pep talk. And boy, the first surgery, I had some good pep talks. Second surgery, I had some really good pep talks. Third surgery, uh, it was waning just a little bit. This fourth surgery, she said, Dad, I'm really going to need you. I'm going to need the Word of God. I need those pep talks. I didn't have anything to give her. I was so down and so frustrated and so discouraged. And I was praying, and I kept thinking, I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed for God to intervene. Where are you? Why aren't you fixing this situation? Why aren't you doing something about this? It's because of my daughter I stayed in the Word of God. It's because of my daughter we kept looking up passages of Scripture, believing even though we couldn't see it. Keep walking down that path, even though the path was hard, even though the path was difficult. On the day before the surgery, we were reading Mark chapter 2. I even said to her on that night, I said, I got no pep talk for you, kid. I'm out. I've uh, done the best I can. I'm praying for God to do a miracle. But my faith, well, it's kind of like the guy who brought to his son to Jesus and, and said, I, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. So we read Mark chapter 2, and three times, we just randomly picked that chapter for no reason at all. In Mark chapter 2, three times, Jesus heals somebody. And I said, you know what? The number three is the number of completion. God wanted you to hear for you and for me that he still got it and that he could still control it. And it was from the word of God that we found strength to face that last surgery. Now, I don't know if that surgery was successful or not. We won't know for several weeks until all the pain medications have gone away and how well she's been able to function at that point in time. But this is a thing that me and my family have decided, that no matter what, no matter what, whether she's healed or not, whether she's better or not, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're going to hold on to him as he holds on to us. We're going to have that defiant faith. When my wife was at the hospital, she talked to a woman. My wife got lost, and, and there was a lady there, and my wife said, I don't know where to go, and the lady said, well, I'll show you the way out. And so the lady took my wife outside, and my wife said, hey, do you work here? And the woman said, no, I don't. And she said, well, how do you know your way, your, how, how, how do you know your way around the hospital so well? And she said, well, this is my daughter's 70th surgery. What do you do when it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out? What do you do when things don't come around the way you want them to come around? Do you just throw in the towel and you say, forget about it? Or do you have that defiant faith that says, no matter what, I'm going to trust the Lord. Even though it doesn't make any sense, even though my situation makes no sense, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm holding on to him as he holds on to me. What are you expecting God to do? Let me let you a little secret. God never promised you that everything would work out the way you wanted it to. 
God never promised that every prayer you pray would be answered the way you wanted to be answered. Let me give you a shot of reality. This is not your home. This is not where we belong. And one day we're going to a place where there is no more sickness, there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, for the old order of things has finally passed away. For behold, our God is making everything new. That's not today. That's in the future. Jesus went through pain. Jesus went through suffering. And you will have hard times. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it get it down. You have that defiant, resilient faith that no matter what comes your way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now look at what happens here, okay? All right. Got me snotting up and everything else. All right, so here we go. So look what happens. The Lord answered Gideon. He said, I'll be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. I want you to hear that. No matter what you're facing, God will be with you one step at a time. Now, God knew that Gideon needed a victory. He knew that. He knew. And so first thing he said was, hey, before you go and we take on the Midianites together, let's first off get a small little victory. I want you to knock down all the altars to Baal. Now, this was a big deal for Gideon. Now, the worship of Baal was really bad. It had to do with sexual immorality. It had to do with child sacrifice. You think about the loss of one child, and then you compound that by thousands of infant children being sacrificed to a false god. It was a heinous thing, and God says it's got to go. Here's the problem for Gideon. His dad is the one who set up all those altars to Baal. How many times do you think Gideon stood up to his dad? Remember, we're talking about Sheldon here, right? Look at what he does. Gideon took 10 of his servants as, and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So Gideon's scared. So what's he doing? He does it at night. He goes and vandalizes at night. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a vandal before. I don't want to know. We're not going to do a confession right now. I don't want to know. But if you've ever vandalized and you had four or five guys with you when you're out vandalizing, you know that one of those bozos is going to say something, right? That's just the way that it works. Someone's going to say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And someone's going to say, hey, I was a part of that, like an idiot. You know, that's what they'll do. Well, one of Gideon's men does the same thing. Say, so, oh, somebody knocked down the altars of Baal. And they say, I was a part of that, and Gideon led us to it. Well, the people aren't excited about that, so they gather around. They want to kill Gideon. And Gideon is such a wuss, he doesn't even defend what he's done. He hides it's his dad who comes to his rescue. Judges chapter 6, verse 31. The dad says, if Baal really is a god, he can defend himself. Now, this is a huge test for Gideon because God wants to see, who are you going to listen to, Gideon? Are you going to listen to what your dad has to say or are you going to listen to what I have to say? You ready for the next big thing on a step of faith? Is you got to decide who you're going to live your life for. Are you going to live your life for the things of man, where you become a hero to a zero in 60 seconds flat? Or are you going to live your life for the kingdom of God and for the opinion of God? I remember I was a student pastor. All the kids who would, all of a sudden, the new style would come out. Everybody was wearing the new style. Or the newest band was out, and everybody was listening to the latest band. Or the new hairstyle would come out, and all the girls had the latest hairstyle. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Does nobody have an individual mind? And the answer when you're in high school is no. It's all heard, isn't it? Whatever the crowd is doing, that's what everybody wants to do. And why is that? Because of acceptance. We crave acceptance. We crave to be a part of a group of people who will love us and accept us and will change anything to get that acceptance. 
doesn't change when you get older. How many times have you seen somebody make a poor decision in their life because they got around people who were making poor decisions in their life, and so they wanted to fit in. They wanted to be accepted with other people. This is what's going on with Gideon. Gideon, who do you want to be accepted by? Who are you living your life to please? Are you living your life to please man, or are you living your life to please God? It's a big question you got to ask yourself. Well, Gideon passes the test. So now you think he's ready to face the Midianites, right? But Gideon is a wuss. Remember I told you that. And he's still afraid. <laughs> Look at what happens here. It says that Gideon was doubting God. Now that shocks me because Gideon has just seen an angel. If I ever saw an angel, I don't think I'd ever doubt God again. But he begins to doubt God. And, and so Gideon said to him, he says, If you'll save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Now, Gideon doesn't just do this one time. He does it two times. He says, I want the fleece to be dry and I want the ground to be wet and then I want the, the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. He does it two times. He says, listen, if I'm really going to trust you, I need some signs. Now, how many times have you done this as well? God, I'll have this conversation if you'll give me a sign. Right, God, I'll do this for you if you give me a sign. Now, one of the things that I'm impressed with about God is he doesn't get mad at Gideon. There's no place in Scripture where God says, Gideon, you are such a loser. What is wrong with you? I mean, how many times am I going to come through for you before you finally trust in me? Come on, Gideon, let's go. No place in Scripture where God does that. In fact, God gives Gideon what he needs to take the next step. And so God does the miracles. And Gideon says, all right, I'm your man. I know you're real. I know you're true. I'll go forth. And so God says, great, get an army together. So Gideon makes a cry out to the people and says, we need to get an army together. And 32,000 people gather together to face the Midianites. Now, Gideon's got himself two problems. One is the Midianites have 135,000 soldiers. Gideon's only got 32,000 soldiers. He's outnumbered four to one. I don't know if you know this or not, but those aren't good odds, Okay. That's the first problem that Gideon's got. Second problem that Gideon has got is that God has come to him now and said, you've got too many men. And Gideon's like, what? I got too many men? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you go to war, Lord, I don't know if you know this now, you need as many men as you can get. And God said, no, you got too many men. And Gideon says, what are you talking about? We got too many men. God said, listen, you go into battle, you're going to think you're all that in a box of chicken. You're nothing more than a wing. You're going to win the battle. You're going to take all the credit for yourself. Got too many men. Gideon says, all right, what do you want me to do? So God said, you go before the people and you tell the men, if anybody's scared, they can go home. And Gideon says, does that include me? Because I'm kind of scared right now, to be honest with you. So Gideon says, well, that's the dumbest thing I've heard in my life, but I'll do it. So he stands before the people. For the soldiers and says, listen, anybody's scared to go against the Midianites, you can go home. And 20, 22,000 did. He's down to 10,000 men. So Gideon says, all right, well, I hope you're happy with that. We're down to 10,000. You ready to go? And God said, no, you got too many men. And Gideon's like, whoa, too many men. We're down to 10,000. The odds are 13 to 1. Too many men. That's crazy. God said, No. You will go into battle, and you'll win the battle, and you'll think, I did this. And no, 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 no. The odds aren't big enough against me. You got too many men. So Gideon says, what do you want me to do? And this is what God tells him 
to do. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So the 300 men who knelt down to get a drink, guess what? He said, those are the 300 men that we want. God looks at Gideon and says, now we have enough men. The odds are 450 to 1. And the Bible says that Gideon was scared. Yeah, you think? Let me tell you about God. He loves to be the underdog. He loves it when the odds are against him. When you feel like everything is caving in around you, when nothing makes any sense, when you can barely breathe another breath, you're just exactly where God wants you to be. God loves to be the underdog. Listen, think, think about this. How in the world do we know the story about Jesus? Born in a small little stable in a small little town of Bethlehem. We shouldn't know that story. But God loves to be the underdog. Now, now Gideon's got a choice, just like you got a choice, right? God sent you out. He's got a great task for you to do. You've got to break through all the fears of insecurity. You've got to break through the fears of what everybody else is going to think and everybody else is going to say. And now you're ready to go. Now you have a choice. And God begins to whittle the odds against you. Will you move forward? Or will you back down? I mean, let, let, let's say for a second that, 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 that I'm Gideon. And you're my 300. You going to follow me into battle? Because I know a lot of you guys are like, yeah. Represent. Come on. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. How do, how do I know you won't fire, follow me into battle? Because you won't do the small things that God asks you to do every day. You ever going to have that conversation with that friend who's far from God? You, you ever going to get in that small group? You ever going to serve in a ministry? Are you ever going to get baptized? Because I know you've given yourself a thousand different excuses as to why you're not the right person for the job. Gideon's scared. We can relate to that, can't we? God says, this is what I want you to do. And so God knows Gideon's scared. She says, all right, Gideon, I know you're afraid. I know you're worried about only having 300 people to go into battle together with, but that, that's okay. We'll make it through. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go in, and I want you to scope out the Midianite camp, and I want you to kind of hide behind some bushes, and I want you to listen to the conversations that they're having. So that's what Gideon does. And when he's listening, he hears a soldier say, well, I had a dream last night. And the dream was this big loaf of bread was rolling down the side of the hill, and it just took out the entire Midianite army. Another soldier said, well, I know what your dream means. That means that God has placed Gideon and his men in, in, into our hands. We're hoes, man. Gideon's going to come in here. He's just going to ransack us. We're going to lose, and we're going to lose big. Now, I, I've never personally had a dream about a loaf of Wonder Bread rolling down the side of a hill, taking people out. But this was all that Gideon needed to hear. He knew now that the battle belongs to the Lord, that the Lord had gone before him. And so he goes back. So he goes back to his three hundred. He says, you ready to go? And these 300 said, yeah. So Gideon divides them up into three different groups. 100 here, 100 here, 100 here. And he says, all right, guys, here's your weapons. A horn to blow, a jar to break, torch to shine, and a voice to shout. Let's go! 
No swords, no shields, no bows and arrow. Everybody gets a trumpet. Everybody gets a jar. Everybody gets a torch. And everybody gets to scream. Would you do it? Because there's no way we would have done it. Gideon says, this is the plan. This is what the Lord wants us to do. And I know it doesn't make any sense. But if we'll do it, he'll be faithful. So they divide up. They surround the entire Midianite camp. They blow their trumpets. They break their jars. They wave their torches. And they scream. And the Bible says that the Lord caused confusion among the Midianites and they began to inwardly fight and they killed each other because the battle belongs to the Lord. Isn't that good? Great story, Todd. What's it got to do with my life? Well, your life belongs to the Lord. And your dreams belong to the Lord. And your hopes belong to the Lord. And your future belongs to the Lord. So what next step do you need to take? Because Gideon goes from a wimp to a warrior. Because he was willing to take the small steps that God had for him to take along the way. And that's the challenge, isn't it? If you really want to be strong for the Lord, then you have to take the next step today. So what, what is he asking you to do? Is he asking you to trust in him? Because some of you have been coming and watching for a long, long time, and you've never finally prayed that prayer to ask Christ into your life. You're going to be stuck, friends, if you don't take that next step. Some of you have given your life to Jesus, and yet you've never been baptized. For whatever reason, you've got an excuse for that, right? You're never going to become the warrior, the strong person for Jesus until you start doing the elementary things that he's commanded us to do. My goodness, some of us won't even tithe. You won't even give a dime to the things of God and the kingdom of God. It's a step of faith, one step after another step after another step. And if you look back over six months, you'll say, that's where I was. This is where I am today. Look at what God has done. Look at how he strengthened my faith. Friends, what step does he want you to take? And here's the great thing, is that no matter what step it is, you won't take it alone. He will be with you. He will go into battle with you because the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us faith to take a step, just a small step forward to be the people that you want us to be. God, we have so much settled along the way. We have let fear get the best of us. And you have called us into a life of adventure, a life of faith. And we come up with a million reasons and insecurities as to why we can't have that kind of life. God, it starts one small step at a time. So God, give us the strength to take the step, to be courageous for you knowing that the battle belongs to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.